0: Just to throw you off a little bit. I love that 1 Corinthians passage, and Bill and I have talked a lot about it. But it's Hebrews 2, verses 1 through 4. Um, I have a really good excuse for any confusion or any... (laughs) There is something called COVID brain. It's real. Um, I don't know if y'all have heard about it before, or heard people talk about it. Um, There's so much to say today. I'm going to, because we've changed up a little bit, I'm going to make this a little bit easier. I'm going to put an outline in your mind. If I deviate from it, it's COVID brain, but here I think is, I'm going to stick with this outline, and here it is. Salvation. I'm going to break that down into three parts, and I call it Salvation 101, 201, and 301. Kind of the college vernacular of classes, as it were. And miracles. And so... I am going to start at the end and tell you my perspective, and I think I'm right. What happened in Guatemala was a mixture of science and miracles, and we can stumble over each one of those if you like. I'm going to let you stumble. I'm going to let you work through this. but. Um, I developed symptoms 24 hours after being here that I thought my nasal drainage would be uh, the volcano Fuego that's that's pluming over there, is throwing dust everywhere, and I must be reacting to it. And silently, as we all sat in our SUV together, all five of us, each day, symptoms worsened, sinus pressure, ear popping, I couldn't go up and down mountains without feeling it, headache, and then that cough, and when that cough came, that dry hacking cough, my doctor brain kicked in, and I thought, oh no. So we got through, I th- that was about Wednesday, we got through the day, and I got Wi-Fi on my phone, and I got a message from Bill about what happened to the Tracy family um, of which was sort of horrifying to me because I was living in that real life of I've been with five people together in this SUV and then oh no what's happening here doesn't sound good either uh, but I, I went to bed that night thinking how am I gonna tell the team Um, Of course, this was my second sleepless night of coughing, of which my wife was probably sleepless, too. And that next day, I presented my case. I said, I'm I'm going to present you a doctor case. This is a patient, 61-year-old, relatively healthy male. And I went down that doctor road, and I had a veterinarian and I had a nurse practitioner, and I had my wife who is Frau Doctor in German, um, and uh, the director of Vine International. And they all knew when I presented my case what was going on. I didn't need to say, I think I have COVID. Um, We tested that day in order to get back to the United States of America. And of course, I tested positive, but um, miracle one, is the rest of the team tested negative, including my wife. She struggled. Do I stay? I don't want to leave you. Um, And I said no, and we said as a team, get out. And so she did. They did. Um, Everyone stayed negative except Ziggy. She tested positive two days when she got back. The director of Vine International, Brady, stayed an extra day, and I didn't know that this was going on, but I have pulled it all together, that that last night, um, the night that I sent the the, um, emergency text out of which Bill and Bill got, along with other brothers that I've walked with for a long time, was, I can't do this another night. I can't have another night. This was Thursday. I can't have another sleepless night. I'm getting short of breath. Um, little did I know, but I'm sure I was having high fevers at that point, and I was facing another night isolated, appropriately, and I went from scientific brain to um, what ifs, you know, like what if I get worse and I go to a hospital in Guatemala, but hospitals in Guatemala for COVID are makeshift and and basically isolate humans from the rest of society, That's that's the essence of it. Um, I went from that and the thought of it to what about my team, how are they going to get home, how's that going to work out, to this weird free-floating peace. Again, call it it fevers, (laughs) call it delirium, call it whatever you want, or was God being intimate to me when I needed him most? That night was bad, but I woke up and I sweat, uh, drenched, and I went back to sleep. I woke up again, still drenched, and then I went, wait, I actually slept. (laughs) I'm not coughing as much, and God did that. (laughs) There was no explanation why I didn't get worse. I've been at the hospital long enough to watch patients go down that road to death. Um... I knew that intimacy of God in a miracle. I knew it. Uh, The last one was, uh, to me, the team. The team did not get COVID, save my wife. Um, That was a little frustrating. She wanted to be with me. I wanted to be with her. We were both not well, but God was pulling us out of it. Um, So I want to explain some of that scientifically. I really do, but I don't need to. And I would rather, instead of say, vaccinations, not vaccinations, when did you have yours, antibody levels, et cetera, I, w- I want to say for this church and for me, God healed us. <laughs> it was him. Um, so that, that is an introduction that we will come back around on. Now what I'd like to do now is – oh, Bill, I failed again um, – I I wrote things out, but I couldn't read what I wrote. So I'm going to go electronic again and probably get in trouble um, when it glitches or whatever. But um, what I'd like to do is read out of Hebrews 2, 1 through 4. Therefore, we must pay attention, closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression and disobedience received its just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by the gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. There are concepts raised in this that um, lead me to important questions. What is the great gospel of salvation? Question one What is the great gospel of salvation? Two. How is it that we can neglect such a great salvation? How is it that we can drift from it and let it slip away? Three, is the God of miracles, signs, and wonders in the Old and New Testament a God of miracles and signs and wonders today? Another one, is the Holy Spirit of God who distributed his gifts in the Old and New Testament still distributing gifts to us today? I'm going to read the passage again, and I'm going to read it in the amplified version. It's a version that takes, in this case, Greek and expounds on the words a little bit. Since all this is true, we ought to pay much closer attention than ever to the truths that we have heard, lest in any way we drift past them and slip away. For if the message given through the angels, the law spoken by them to Moses, was authentic and proved sure, and every violation and disobedience received an appropriate, just, and adequate penalty, how shall we escape appropriate retribution if we neglect and refuse to pay attention to such a great salvation as is now offered to us? letting it drift past us forever. For it was declared at first by the Lord himself, and it was confirmed to us and proved to be real and genuine by those who personally heard him speak. Beside this evidence, it is also established and plainly endorsed by the God who showed his approval of it by signs and wonders and various miraculous manifestations of his power and by imparting the gifts of the Holy Spirit to the believers according to his own will. I want to pay attention to start with with two opening concepts. One is, notice, there is a therefore, and the Amplified Version said, since all of this is true, the therefore statement since this is true statement, always means there's an important point in the passage right before the therefore. And in this case, what is found to be true is the validation for our salvation in chapter 1. And I'll let me summarize chapter 1 by saying this is what chapter 1 pre, uh, presents to us. God spoke through the prophets a long time ago and God has spoken to us by his Son. This Son, the one making purification for our sin, we sang about it, Paul spoke of it, by his blood is the perfect sacrifice. The perfect lamb that he is is also the perfect high priest at the same time. So the perfect high priest made the sacrifice of the perfect lamb himself. Salvation. That's what we we claim, we grab, we sing, we speak of. The second inception revolves around the word paraseiro, and that is a Greek word that means to drift, draw away, mislead, carry away. Or decoy. It's a very strong word. This passage actually talks about um, apostasy. It talks about leaving the faith for good. Now, I'm not authorized to go down that road. Um, You'll see me soften my point on this because I'm not qualified to speak of it in depth, but I will say I am an eternal security guy. (laughs) Um, It's important for me to be that for me because that is the great God and the great salvation message to me. But we have to pay attention to this drifting word, this letting go of something so great and what happens to us when we drift. We must pay attention to that. So for image sake, imagine the mighty Mississippi River. When I was in Memphis for those four years of study, on occasion, I would take a break, and I would go down to Beale Street, and I'd find my way to the Mississippi River, and I would sit. And there is a roar, a movement, a power in that Mississippi River that's unbelievable. it helped, it helped me direct my mind back to the power of God. Um, and so imagine this mighty Mississippi River. When you, we cross the Solway Bridge and look at Melton Hill, um, it's wider than Melton Hill at that point. And imagine the thousands of gallons passing every second and that roar and that feel of power. Imagine that mighty Mississippi is the flow of humanity. That when we're born into this world, we are in the flow, head bobbing up and down, nearly drowning, moving toward destruction, to hell. Imagine that. Millions of people flowing down that mighty river. And now imagine that down in the distance as we are bobbing up and down, gasping for breath, that there's a rock in that river. And we know that rock can save us. And so we make our way over, and we grab a hold of that rock, and we are clinging to it out of desperation, and we're saved. And you know, this is an easy one, the rock, the solid rock that doesn't move, that never shifts, never changes is our, the rock of our salvation. Imagine one more thing, uh, especially for you kayakers, This, but this will be an easier one. When you're in the flow of a river, every once in a while, you will find a place that you get away from the flow and actually go the opposite direction of that flow. So this great river in our mighty Mississippi is creating an eddy, a flow opposite of that mighty flow of destruction. And because I am eternal security guy, God gives us a kayak. Okay, so now we're secure, right? We're in the kayak and we're in this eddy and we're flowing opposite of the flow of destruction. We're in a place of peace. We're in a place of joy. We're in a place of effortless. We, We could flow in that eddy the opposite direction. We don't even need the paddle. But we have a paddle, and we're working it. Um, I extrapolate my life as a believer into this story. So when I was eight years old, I heard the message, who wants to go to heaven and who wants to go to hell? Well, that was a no-brainer to me. I looked, kind of looked around. I wasn't supposed to. just had my head down. And I'm going, ha- why isn't everybody raising their hand? I raised my hand. I want to go to heaven. Um, and so I, f- I fell into that flow at eight as an eight-year-old. And there was joy. There was a free-floating peace. I'm eight years old, and yet I tasted something when I made that confession of my sin and made that confession to accept Jesus, I wanted salvation. Um, unfortunately, over time, um, with my paddle, I, I, I felt like that I needed to do something more. Uh, the flow of that eddy was slow, and I saw the fast pace. And so I, I wanted to kind of make this better for myself. Um, somehow, you know, I accept Jesus and now I'm on my own paddling and so I've got to make this work out, right? If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I had that and now I had my paddle. I recognize my need as a sinner was great and my need for salvation was great, but over time something happened to me. And this is pitfall number one about this salvation message, is that that salvation didn't mean that much to me six months and a year. I mean, after all, I was eight years old. What did I do wrong? I mean, I I couldn't do much. And so the salvation became my desperate need less and less and less. And I felt like I was now having to work harder and harder and harder. And the joy of the Lord this joy of the Lord that is a message in and of itself because it's the joy of the Trinity that, he, that he, they came and brought us back. It's his pleasure. is also our pleasure. But I lost it. I was working. I was doing it on my own. So the first pitfall is, and I'm not saying it's wrong to recognize our need. I'm saying that if it's just based on our need, then we have a we have a chance to drift. and so what I want to do is go through this passage one more time and just remind us of how this value of salvation is not dependent on my need so much but on the value God's placed in it. Let me just go through these these uh, uh, six points: the endorsement of the gospel by by God, validated by angels given to Moses to form. The law, authenticated by the harsh reality of the penalty of sin, ju- a just and appropriate punishment, righteous and true, declared by the Lord Jesus Himself, confirmed and proven by those writing the inspired writings of God's Word, established and endorsed by God Himself through signs and wonders and various miracles, and by imparting the gifts of the Holy Spirit that He freely does for his good pleasure. That's the weight of this first 101 gospel. It is the weight that God sets up for us that never changes. If you start working it, if you make that acceptance of God into your own thing, you'll lose your joy, pitfall number one. You'll drift. You'll lose your grip. This scenario begs a question. So I want to I want to throw this question out to you to think while I'm speaking. What is the definition of a Christian? So again, I have to throw into my personal life here that so that you don't feel like I'm isolating myself from you. It was posed to me, and I remember how I answered it. I answered it by the things that I do, not, not who I am, but what I do. Think about it. Um, I accepted Jesus, that acceptance. I read my Bible. I go to church. I do good things. It's all doing. It's all doing. It's a slippery slope. It's a pitfall. There's another answer I came up with, and it's not a doing answer, and it's not the right answer. And I wonder how many of you are, it's rattling around in your head. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. No, wait, that's true. (laughs) But is that it? Especially the words. I mean, I, I think we've all probably said, just a sinner saved by grace. Is that it? Ponder it. We're going to get down to it. Salvation 201, you ready? This is a sophomore class now. The helmet of salvation. Pitfall number two, I'm going to start right off the bat. We are in warfare, and we need our helmet. And if you don't think you're in warfare, you're already slipping down that drift. This is warfare. We have a helmet. We have a helmet for a reason. And take hold of it lest you drift. Philippians tells us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, awe and reverence serious. Now I just told you about work as a slippery slope, but hang with me on this. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places, warfare going on. It's over our heads, and it's also within us. Take up the helmet of salvation, and in that passage in Ephesians is also right next to it the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. I think we've had a lesson on prayer. We've all admitted it. It's a lovely thing. I did not ask for prayer because it was nice. I asked for prayer because I was desperate. I didn't know where I was going to go. The helmet of salvation. What does it do? It doesn't protect our brain. It protects our mind. So listen to this. Hold every thought captive. That means we need to know what we're thinking, right? Right? We're, we're losing the battle if we don't know what we're thinking. But we hold every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. We hold our thoughts captive, place them under the authority and obedience of Christ. For the weapons of our warfare are not the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments, every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And take every thought captive to obey Christ. Being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Set your minds on things above, not on things on the earth. See, the battle is the battle of the mind. That's where the warfare is. It starts there and it can end there. Unless we don't realize it's warfare. Slippery slope. Pitfall. But who knows the mind of God except the Spirit of God? And you know God's mind is way up here and ours is way down there. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. We are so separated from him in the fact that he's so magnified and glorified and so awesome. What about us? How can we know The rest of it says this. Who knows the mind of God except the Spirit of God? And we have the Spirit of God. See the connection? Um, Also, we're told to have the mind of Christ as we have the mind of Christ. You see, the connection here is not just 101, saved by the blood of Jesus. Real powerful. Don't don't get me wrong. I adore that. But now we have a connection here. We have the mind of Christ. We have the battle raging in our minds and we have the weapons to defeat those battles. So there's the slippery slope of this, of this second 201 is this. Do you know what you're thinking? at any given moment. You see, in the United States of America, I've noticed that we wake up in the morning with thoughts on our mind. Um, I wonder what the weather is today. So we get on our phone, we check the weather report, and then we turn on the television or the radio while we're getting ready for work. And then we, we get in our car, And drive to work. And you're either thinking about work or you're thinking about whatever you're listening to on the radio. then you go to work and you're listening to the radio while you're working. Um, I forgot the television in the morning, too. That's that's a common thing. Uh, Go to work. Do your work. You're thinking about work. You're getting paid to do that. That's a good idea. Then you go home and you have homework with the kids and you have relational conflicts and things and problems that have arisen during the day. And then you relax at the end of the day, so you turn on the television. I mean, after all, don't we need to come down after a busy day? Fall asleep in front of the television, get up, turn it off, go to bed. Filling our minds with what... And why are we filling our minds with things? I think it's because we could be thinking, and, and it's hard. It's hard. It's a battlefield. I think there are reasons why we do what we do, but we're filling our minds with things that distract us. And some of the things that we're watching on television, oh my word, <laughs> the counter to what we are as believers in Christ. So in my practice, it was easy um, to um, have a patient come in sleepless. It, it's a very common uh, problem that we have. And I would say, well, they, they say, Doc, you know, I um, I, I go to bed and, and inevitably at 3 o'clock in the morning, I wake up and I can't get back to sleep. And I, and I say, well, what are you thinking when you wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning? Nothing. you got to be thinking about something. It's impossible not to think about something. <laughs> And oftentimes, what happens, in, you know, in the mercy that I give in that is that we are thinking, shoot, I'm gonna be so tired, I can't, I can't be sleepless again. I, uh, this makes me so angry. I'm waking up, and I'm gonna be tired all through the day. I've got business meetings. I gotta pay attention. I mean, that's legit. But we've got to stop and think what we're thinking. And a lot of times what we're thinking is what we should have thought about when we were watching television, listening to the radio, or doing whatever we were doing, that God gets our attention. I think he wakes us up. We we need to know what we're thinking because the battle is there. Lest we drift, if you don't know what you're thinking. That's That's dangerous lest we drift. If you don't know this is a battle that's dangerous. Okay, so Th- Salvation 301's is next. Um, this is going to be a challenge. Salvation 301 is knowing the rest of the gospel. And you say, what? Wait, is that heresy coming down the line here? What do you mean the rest of the gospel? We've already talked about the gospel. We already sang about the gospel. We already know that we have salvation affording us and that one day Jesus will come back for us, right? What do you mean the rest of the gospel? I didn't coin it. I struggled over the phrase. That phrase, the rest of the gospel, is actually a title to a book written by Dan Stone. It's not mine, it's his but I love it. It shakes us up. I endorse the book, by the way. I'll give you a snapshot. As you come to Christ in salvation, so walk in him. What does that mean? How did you come? Remember? Desperate, floating in the mighty Mississippi, going up and down, almost drowning, needing to be saved, desperate. Did you have anything? No. Were you floating in this place, helpless? Yes. Probably naked. Nothing. Desperate. We came to Christ that way, so walk in him that way. What does that mean? Remember, we're in our kayak and we're going up the eddy. The eddy is moving slowly. There's green pastures that we can stop if you want to lie down in. <laughs> He's restoring our soul, there's joy, until we decide we want to go faster or a different way, and heaven forbid that we edge our nose of our kayak back into that mighty Mississippi. You don't step into the mighty Mississippi and just wade there. It's, in, in, in Memphis, it's a it's 100 feet deep, and it'll take you away. That's why this is important. So we're we're starting to do these things with our kayak because we're bored, because God's slow, because it's not the way I would do it. And And so what we do when we come to salvation, this is kind of me again, this is my example again, is that I needed to do things. So what do I do? I do good things. First thing I do is start to learn more about the Bible, so I become intellectually savvy in God's Word. Oh, and the church just said um, you got to know what your spiritual gift is or gifts, so you take a survey and you start focusing on yourself. And I know it's about God's gifts, His spiritual gifts to us, but really, come on, it's it's what do I have? Oh, and what can I not do to help out the church? Because that's not my gift, right? You see the subtle slit? Well, I'm not smart enough, so I think I'll go to seminary. Ooh, I'm going to seminary. Now they want me to lead a Bible study, and so I'm starting to put these clothes on of labels. Um, it becomes, I'm a pastor. I'm a missionary. I'm a homeschooler. You know? These are good things. I stand against abortion, and I do. But is that the label? Should I go pick it now? Because that's—I'm a Republican. I voted for so and so, not so and so. Are these the clothes that I want to put on? And in this book, it, the more clothes you put on, the less likely you'll get through the next gate. You got to take them off. You got to go through your underwear. So as we came to salvation, so walk in it that way. When we do this, when we put the clothes on, we isolate ourselves from the sweetness and the intimacy of Jesus. This is important. We don't talk about the here and now because we don't experience the here and now because we're covered up with stuff. How do we get back to this sweet intimate relationship the joy of the Lord? How do we get that? Well, two things. One, if you are lost in your thoughts, I recommend Psalm 139:23. It's familiar to us. And that is that create in me a clean heart, know my thoughts. Show me my wicked ways. Start by going back to the beginning to in, in front of Jesus and just asking him to show me, illuminate me, be with me. This is the whole of, of our walk now. We don't have to wait for heaven to live above the line and look at things of heaven, not on things of earth, to focus our minds on things of God. To when we're anxious, let our requests be made known to God, and the peace of God that surpasses our understanding will guard our hearts and our minds. I'm crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. I'm dead. I mean the cross, it's not a nice little symbol. Jesus said, you must deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. And that means you're carrying your own cross to your own death. You climb up on that cross. The blood of Jesus saves us from our sins, yes. Climbing up on the cross, deny yourself, and dying makes you dead. Everything good that we have is in our way. Because we're, we're, we're nice citizens here. There, there aren't mass murderers sitting here or horrifying whatever evil that's floating down the mighty Mississippi is not us. It's the good things that we have that we've taken our labels. We, we need to lay them down. If you're great at music, lay it down. If you're an intellect in the doctor world, lay it down. By the way, where did these gifts come from? What do we boast about? What do we have that we can boast about that God hasn't given us? We are now clothed in holy righteousness right now. In the heavenlies, God has declared this. The rest of the gospel is we die He gives us new life in him and he clothes us in purity and righteousness seated before the throne as we speak right now. When were you known? When you were born? When did you become a Christian? When you said yes and threw the pine cone in the fire? We were known before the foundations of the earth. We were known by him. This world of discovery is for us to discover and see the joy and the intimacy and the pleasure of God. We are his pleasure. You need to say it out loud to yourself because it doesn't feel like it's true. So the things that we feel that aren't true, the things that we believe about ourselves, the things that we make up in our mind about people and stories we tell. See that person over there? That person is doing drugs and... And that's why he's the way he is. When we tell these evil stories to ourselves and to other, about other people, we are going away from the truth of who we are. And we need to speak it to one another. Brother, you are pure and holy and righteous before God because it's God's righteousness in you. And he doesn't change. He doesn't take it back. Sister, you're stumbling right now, but you, but God... The truth of God is that your stumbling is that He's going to catch you. And if you don't say it out loud, you're going to just remember what you feel. I'm just a sinner. That's it. Got to wait for Jesus to come back. And, you know, I'm hoping (laughs) because of the way I feel right now, I'm hoping that this is true. But what happens is if that's where you stop, then you will be one of those that I believe is that you smell of the fires of hell when you get to heaven. The clothes that you're wearing smell of the fire because you didn't get past. I didn't get past. I tried so hard. We have to know that this is true. God says it's true. Known before the foundations of the earth, Come here, recognize the awesomeness of God, accept it, receive it, busted. And then walk in freedom? Freedom from sin? Battling in the mind and winning the battle. The other part of the rest of the gospel is this. I make this one up. I don't know that Dan Stone did. I need to credit, not credit him for something he didn't say, but I love the rest of the gospel. So back to Guatemala, it was obvious to me I had leprosy. I felt it and everyone else around me should have seen how the, the, there's a missionary couple there that, that did buy groceries for me. I wasn't alone. There was another couple that we had rented an Airbnb from that I actually reunited with. And they go, hey, next time you come, let us know. You don't need to do the Airbnb. We'll just let you stay. I wasn't alone, but I was isolated. And it was like me and Jesus, it's like, okay, this is not, I don't do this well. I don't rest well. There's something called Sabbath rest. Have you heard of it? Have you done it? If you're like me, no. But you remember, God created the earth in six days, and then he rested, and guess what? He is still doing he hasn't stopped. We're in that eddy, that rest. It's, it flows. It flows naturally. It's peace. I love that. And I was confronted with it. And it was hard. It's easy to drift. It, it's so much easier than I thought when I first read that passage. And I wanted to get, you know what I wanted to do with that passage? I want to get to the next step the miracles. Because I'm excited about the miracles. When you see them, you can't not see them. And so the opposite of that was I, you know, in all of my I get my books together and this, this uh this theologian Lockler, writes The Miracles of the Bible. And then C. S. Lewis writes a book, Miracles. And I'm reading both of these and I'm going, This is ridiculous. Because the first guy who I didn't even get to the miracles of the Bible because that would be another 45 million minutes of preaching, is that here's what they concluded, both C.S. Lewis and this guy. They said, if you don't believe in miracles, you're not going to see miracles. Let me boil this theological, philosophical thing down. If you don't believe in them, you won't see them. You'll reason them away. My mind played tricks on me. Oh, that was really science. It's just that we don't know enough science about COVID. Seriously, we do not know. We do not know about COVID. Now, if we're smart enough, we'll figure it out so we can count everything in the scientific world and we don't have to think about what God's doing. We have trusted in the God of miracles for salvation. We have trusted Jesus, that we are crucified with him and it's no longer I who live. The old man is dead and the new man has come. And that new man is pure and holy because Jesus is holy. I brush my teeth. I'm a holy man and that's a holy act. Everything we do is holy unless we choose the flesh, battle in the mind, lose the battle, flesh, but we have the power against it. But we are possessed by a Holy Spirit that performs miracles, and we are people of miracles because God is a God of miracles. Uh, we mentioned John 14. John 17 was the end of John 14 to 17, Jesus' discourse with the disciples. and John 17, Jesus prays this, that we would be unified as the Trinity is unified, and that we would be unified with Jesus the same way, and that we'd be unified with each other the same way, that the world would see us and God would be glorified. That we would become perfectly one with Him, and it's true we are. We are already. So the miracle part of this, as I end the pitfall, there are those who believe the God of miracles, the God of miracles, stopped performing miracles after the the life of the apostles were over, or after the canonization of the Bible was complete in in 300 A.D. That line of thinking goes against what I see in God's world, above the line of humanity into the heavenlies, as God is still a God of miracles. It's not written down and canonized, and it's not proven of Holy Spirit writings, but that doesn't mean it's not happening. God is a God who intervenes in the lives of his people intimately and in dynamic ways and through miracles. Um, I I, I knew that I wasn't even counting the time. I've got two Vine International stories I just want to end with. In 2017, Map International called us and said, "We we have a relationship with them where we can go back and forth on this. We have a ton of these emergency packs. We can't get rid of them. They're getting ready to expire. Will you take them? Well, Vine's trying to streamline a little bit what we send to Guatemala. We don't want to send junk. We don't want to send things that expire. We don't want them to have to burn our junk. So we wrestled, but we said, okay, yeah, okay. So we'll take those emergency packs. We have no idea what we're going to do with them if you'll give us, you know, something good, like antibiotics, amoxicillin, or whatever. We do these deals all the time. Um, So we we begrudgingly decided to go ahead and take those packs. Those packs sat up on the top shelf on uh, one of our three rows, and they were expiring. And so now we've got the dilemma in Guatemala. We knew it was going to happen. Fuego, one of the most active volcanoes in the world, decided it would blow in 2018 before the expiration dates of those packs. The bombarderos, uh, emergency workers slash firemen, came to our warehouse. We heard you had emergency packs. Our boots are melting on this volcanic mountain as we're trying to save people who are burned. And these packs, pop them open. Salve for burns, gauze, treated gauze. Boots, rope, everything that they needed. Wow. We said no. Number two. In two thousand early two thousand nineteen, we got called MAP International. Hey, we've got all these yellow gowns, extra large. Seen Guatemalans lately? And we've got all these n ninety five masks well they didn't i mean this is where being the medical director of vine comes into play we don't need n ninety five masks who who's going to use n ninety five masks in Guatemala? we don't even use n ninety five masks here okay we'll take them we're trying to sell we were trying to get rid of these gowns what are you going to do with all these gowns into two thousand nineteen in In 2020, we know what happened. There was a doctor in the Guatemalan government, Guatemala City, higher-up guy. He said, the Guatemalan government's making these makeshift hospitals, and they're demanding that we go take care of COVID patients, and we don't have gowns or masks or gloves. This is our death. They found out about Vine International in the warehouse, Came knocking on the door. Now, we don't. We serve everyone in the name of Jesus, to present Jesus and Him crucified, to present Jesus in the new life that we can have. But we focus on ministries that are proclaiming Jesus, and so we don't naturally work with the government. It's a black hole. But this one was a no-brainer. We we have pictures of Guatemalan city national workers with yellow gowns wrapped three times around them in 95 masks and we are now being courted by believers in the Guatemalan government that we have never would have never had touch points with before and how can how can you not see that these are just two instances of not to mention this last one of God working even in spite of us sometimes in our intellect. (laughs) We think we know. Um, I would like to end with prayer. Father, this is a time uh, where your word um, is spoken out, where the power and the miracles of the Holy Spirit through your word are evident, And where the hearts of us have to be pried open sometimes to hear. And so I pray as the prayers before this message that afterward we will remember this message, (laughs) that we will remember what it means to be in Christ, alive in Christ, and the the victory that we have now. And then, Father, I just pray that we'll see your miracles and be intimate with you in that way. And it changes us every, every minute of the day. And we thank you for being a great God like that. We just give you praise and glory and honor in Jesus' name. Amen.